Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Today's podcast is sponsored by SLI Systems, providers of intelligent site search and navigation solutions. Learn more at sli-systems.com and listen to their interviews at ecommercepodcast.com. Your path to e-commerce success starts right here. You're listening to Practical E-commerce, the podcast for e-commerce results. today with Gordon McGee, the Internet Marketing and Analysis Manager for DrFosterAndSmith.com. And I'm very excited about today's discussion as we learn more about Foster and Smith. And Gordon, we appreciate your time. No problem. Glad to do it today, Mitch. Let's begin perhaps with a little background for folks who may not be familiar with Foster and Smith, who may not by chance have received a catalog and perhaps know some of the history, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about the background of the company and then when the website was launched in order to complement the cataloging channel. Sure. Foster and Smith got started in 1983. There were three vets involved uh, originally, Dr. Rory Foster and his brother Race Foster, along with Dr. Marty Smith, ran some clinics up here in northern Wisconsin. And they had discovered that it was difficult very often for their patients to get products at reasonable prices up here in the Northwoods and, and other, otherwise. And so they decided they would start a small catalog entry to provide products to their veterinary clinic customers, and things really took off well for them. And so over time, over a number of years, they transitioned away from running the clinics uh, exclusively to really developing the catalog. Early on along the way, uh, Rory Foster developed Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and passed away. And so for the lion's share of the years, it's been uh, Dr. Race Foster and Dr. Marty Smith that have run and and owned the company. And they started out, as I said, in in a very small way as a customer service, in effect, and things went quite well for them. Uh, They started a catalog early on. Of course, there was no Internet in those days back in the 80s. and as, as things grew, they got involved with catalog conferences and so on, and people asked them about how they put their catalog together and why they spent so much time on their, in their catalog on pet information. And they really wanted to equip their patients and uh, clients with their pets to take good care of their pets. So they, from the very early on, dedicated quite a bit of space to pet education within the catalog, and, and that really caught on. That was kind of their niche early on. And then in 1996, the uh, website got rolled out, 96 or 98, got rolled out, and things went really, really well with that to the point where today we do about 57% of our business online. With such a significant part of the overall revenues coming from the website now, I guess I was wondering, was there resistance from the staff about this new channel because it had been such an entrenched cataloging 
operation. I wonder how that settled internally and how did they deal with those dynamics? There really wasn't. I think uh, because the company grew up with kind of a family atmosphere and not a corporate corporate atmosphere, and that atmosphere remains, there, there's really a, a different kind of feel here at the company in that we're not very siloed like some other companies might be that really are more corporate in their in their look and feel internally. And so it was very much a, a team concept, and the creative department that we had and continue to have was one of the great assets for the Internet because we had a built-in creative department. We didn't have to farm anything out to develop creative for the website because we already had, being a catalog company, people who knew how to write copy and people knew how to handle images and people who knew how to do layout. It was a matter of simply getting a website built. So that, that really became an integral piece of, of all that we were doing, the website. And then one of the, the things, and, and unless a person is in the business and really has all the measurement tools to take a look at this, you can sort of fall prey to a myth, and that is that, you know, the Internet's doing so well and in a company like ours doing 57% of their business online that the Internet is this monster thing out there that's driving the sales, when in reality, in most cases for a catalog company, the catalog's still king. So even though we do a huge chunk of our business online, a portion of those sales that are done online are still catalog-driven. So people get a catalog and choose to order online. And so for a catalog company like ours, the catalog's still the driver, there are exceptions. There are certain companies that are Internet pure plays, as they're called, where they don't have a catalog per se, or the catalog came along later, and they've become known on the web primarily. You think of an Amazon.com, for example, that, that uh, you know, early on didn't have retail stores and didn't start out with a catalog. They were a pure play Internet. That's a different kind of animal than a catalog company. And so they've set up a different kind of advertising uh, and marketing channel or way to, way to reach people than a catalog company. Clearly you're saying there's a very interrelated kind of codependence <laughs> uh, one on the other yeah absolutely it, it what it comes down to and it's it's true whether you're in uh, you know sort of the regular retail with a uh, with stores and so on or you're a catalog company or, or a pure play internet company it comes down to what's best for the customer what their customer experience is and many people want that catalog to flip through and and see what's there but then they want to get on the phone or they want to get on the internet to put in the order and it really varies and it, and it may vary with an individual where you know one day they need to make a call because there's an item they have a question about you know in our case we we sell live fish and fish hard goods as well as you know dog and, and cat and supplies like that and sometimes there are more technical things that they need answers to questions about that are better handled on the phone than it would be on the internet to just put in an order and, and hope they got the right item for the thing they're looking for. And as, as well as we try to describe things online, there are times when you just need to ask a question. And so it, re it really comes back to customer experience and how to help the customer get what they're looking for, for example, as opposed to what we'd like to sell them. Do you sell at other online locations, such as the marketplaces of eBay and Amazon, or through various shopping comparison sites? We do. We've got certain new clearance items, for example, discontinued products that are new products, but we've discontinued the line that we will sell on eBay. That's It's a very small percentage of our overall sales, but it provides an opportunity for customers to get products that we no longer have on the website or in the catalog that are brand new quality and good quality things that we simply discontinued, for example. So we do that on, on eBay. Uh, we also do sell on shopping comparison sites you know, the Frugals and uh, Shopzillas and places like that, Yahoo Shopping and so on. And, and those are very effective venues because there are certain people that are comparison shoppers, 
and they want to be able to compare directly on one site what uh, prices and values that they're looking at on a product. There's a certain segment of buyer that really uses those comparison shopping sites, and you want to be able to reach that segment because if you're not there, you're not going to get that sale. How do you market your online endeavor? So my portfolio is is broader than uh, just Internet marketing, which is broad enough by itself. I also handle media placement and television and radio and public relations. And so, you know, all of those things mesh together in terms of an overall marketing strategy along with our, our core marketing tool, which is the catalog. And so we do uh, space ads. We do uh, what are called FSIs, freestanding inserts. We do uh, other kinds of, of alternate media placement, whether it's catalog stuffers or ride-alongs and other people's uh, catalogs or products that are mailed out to customers that have purchased from them. And then we've, we have done some small radio tests. We may do some more of that in the future. And then uh, we do direct response television buys as well and create our own commercials. So there are all of those things. And then on the Internet side, we, we do do paid search, pay-per-click or cost-per-click marketing, and then search engine optimization as well for the natural search side of things. We do have an affiliate program as well that we're rolling out now that we started in August that's going along quite well. And we do major email uh, marketing as well, so kind of all of the above. And, and I think sometimes too, Mitch, it's, it's a matter of scale. When a company is smaller and they, they don't have the personnel and, and therefore potentially don't have the expertise, it is difficult to do all of these things at once. And so you know, for, for medium to smaller companies that are just rolling out, it can be kind of overwhelming. But I think if a, a person starts with one venue and grows that expertise and then rolls into the next one and kind of build as you have the expertise, you'd be amazed at what you can do with a relatively small staff. For example, most of what I've described above, apart from the media placement, which really deals with a lot in our creative department and, and the copy and so on that goes into the email, but the marketing side of it, not the creative side, we have a, a small Internet department here that handles that. I've got three people that work for me, and we're about to bring on a fourth, and, and that's it for the Internet marketing department. Are there particular things in terms of this issue of marketing, branding, Foster & Smith deploys to really distinguish itself from other pet supply and pet care companies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. The, the roots of the, of the company uh, are really core to the, the whole branding, uh, not only philosophy, but reality. You know, the, the company was started by veterinarians who had committed their educational and professional lives to good pet care and animal care. And their philosophy of wanting people to take good care of pets, for example, really permeates the company. If I'm not mistaken, I, I believe I've heard Dr. Smith say that they were the first veterinary clinic in the United States, uh, up, way up here in the north woods of Wisconsin, to offer free spay and neutering for uh, pet owners uh, to help out with pet overpopulation and that kind of thing. And so you know, that philosophy of good pet care from the very beginning has been built into the company. And that really, that expertise side of things is our, our differentiation. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, early on when the catalog was beginning and uh, Race and Marty went to uh, catalog conferences to learn more about the business that they'd gotten themselves into, they were advised that, that devoting a the percentage of space that they were devoting to their catalog for pet care information was really a bad business move. In the catalog world, you do what's called square inch analysis to determine how effective each square inch of your pages are in selling things. And if your products in those square inches aren't selling, you remove them. 
And so every inch literally is of premium value in a catalog. They were advised not to spend so much time in education. They decided they were going to completely ignore that advice and give people the ability to understand their products better and their pets better and how to care for them. And then from a marketing standpoint, give them a reason to keep our catalog because there are excellent articles in them. We have, for example, a separate site other than our main site, of our DrsFosterAndSmith.com site and our Live Aquaria site. We have a, a site called PetEducation.com, and the PetEducation.com site is basically commercial-free. There are certainly references to products in there, and it's not that we won't add some more over time, but we try to keep that as, as relatively commercial-free as possible so that people and uh, educational institutions can uh, go to that site and get articles about how to care for their pets that are written by either uh, Dr. Smith or Dr. Foster or by our other two veterinary people that are on staff and other technicians and so on. So being pet care experts is our core niche in equipping uh, pet owners to take good care of their animals. Now that the online product is kind of superseded in terms mm-hmm. of the revenue source, are more resources dedicated to that than before? It, it's really a seamless piece, uh, both of these uh, sides of things, the uh, the call center catalog side and, and the online side. So there's definitely a, sort of a symbiotic relationship between the two, and uh, one feeds the other and, and then uh, vice versa. Very often, for example, today, you know, we think about catalog driving online sales, but the reality is also the case that people do research online and then choose to call the call center. And so, the, you know, the call center has traditionally been viewed as the uh, receiving end of the, of the catalog side, but it also turns out in some cases to be the receiving end of the online side. And so everything sort of works together. And I think the core thing, and, and this is really, I know it's a cliche, but it is a reality in our, in our company and in the business that uh, customer experience and customer satisfaction absolutely is king. So we want to make sure that if someone calls our call center, they have the same kind of experience that they have when they're online and vice versa. So we want to make sure that our prices match in both places. If we have made a mistake and there's a, a price online that's different than it is in the catalog, we want to make sure that we honor the lowest price for the customer. We really want to look at that customer experience all the way through and make sure it's the same. It doesn't mean that we won't have specific online uh, specials for customers as they shop online or special email specials or at times uh, certain uh, call specials. But in general, we want to make sure that the customer experience is the same no matter where they go. Do you, like <laughs> most online companies, face some kind of issue with shopping cart abandonment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everyone has that as just as a matter of course and as one of the things that's interesting when you look at your analytics tools that tell you what's happening on your website, uh, very often one of the peak times of day that people are hitting your website is in the middle of the day as that middle of the day changes from East Coast to West Coast, and people are shopping on their lunch hours at work, which very often means that they're not going to close out their cart. They're going to abandon it because they need to go back to work. So there's a certain sort of built-in abandonment rate that's not unusual and not unhealthy, and it really depends industry to industry uh terms of what percentage is is healthy or not of what it's going to be for each individual company and that relates in part to the buying cycle if a person is buying a major appliance they're doing that online that buying cycle the decision cycle is going to be longer so that shopping cart may get abandoned and parked for a long long time or or swapped out multiple times but if you're buying uh, dog biscuits that's a different thing so 
you're probably going to have a different kind of abandonment rate. On the other hand, if you're looking at to buy an appliance, you may not put it in your shopping cart right away either. So there, there's a bit of a trade-off in that. So you kind of have to know what your rate of abandonment is or what's normal for you. So we do face that and we try to work on that. But at the same time, if you walk through a retail store and you pick up a shirt and, and hold it up and try it on and then put it back on the rack, you know, you've abandoned that thing that you picked up and held and on the on the Internet picking up and holding something is putting it in your shopping cart. Okay. Okay. And and we do that all the time. We don't think anything of it as a shopper. And I don't think that you a person should be overly alarmed about that abandonment rate unless it gets too high and, and you can see what's going on there. Are there kind of sentinel reports to which you turn as kind of key indicators or things you find more value in an analytic package than other? Yeah, there, there really are. And the analytics packages that are out there now are so thorough, which is very helpful. It, it's, as the old saying goes, it's like drinking from a fire hose at times, that it, there's just too much information. And you you really do need to filter down to the key things that you need to look at. You know, it's called in, in many industries key performance indicators. And some of them are just common sense. Not to oversimplify, but, you know, the, we're, you know, as you mentioned, over 100 million on, online, probably 125 million this year, I suppose, and yet, you know, what I want to look at in the morning is how many sales did pay-per-click have? How many sales did our email program have? Uh, how many sales did our shopping portals have? How many sales did our trackable television commercials have? So I go right to what did we sell? That's right. Kind of normal, common-sense stuff. And then once I determine that that sales line is good, then I'm going to go back, and, or if it's not good, I'm going to go back and look and see, well, how many visitors did we have? Is something going bad with our conversion rate? conversion rates are normal or uh, maybe an email didn't go out at some point, then I'll, then I'll go and find out what those kinds of issues are. But the first thing I want to look at is what's the sales numbers. That, that's the bottom line. <laughs> 